0: We're going to be in Romans chapter 13 once again today, but before we get to that, I'll mention a Ben Franklin line that I have heard all of my life, Uh, one that is observably untrue, but uh, it is one that I'm sure you've heard many times as well, and it is this. In this world, the only certainties are death (laughs) and death taxes there are other certainties as we believers know about this life but paying taxes well that's uh, it's not quite as certain as death but it is it is close now who in here pays more taxes than seems reasonable to you anybody in that anybody in that in that category. And, and, and who lives somewhat farther from North Park Church than you would like because you are getting into a lower tax zone where you live. Anybody in that class? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I live, uh, when I moved here, Ken, I said, I want to be very close to the church. That puts you in a high-tax district, okay? I'm helping pay for these people who send their kids to the North Allegheny School District. Uh, You are welcome. Did you know that the Scriptures speak to the matter of taxation? quite quite a bit, actually, and really very clear in Romans 13. So we've gone, in our study of Romans, from dealing with things like divine sovereignty and propitiation and justification and imputation to this, taxes. And since we have on our staff an expert in taxation, I thought it would be good to ask retired IRS agent Mark Shartnack to read our scripture for us this morning. Mark, come on up. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Romans 13 (laughs) Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities For there is no authority except from God And those which exist are established by God Therefore whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law.
0: So today's message will focus on the last five verses of that passage, and our sermon title for today is Love and Taxes. I should note that Mark, besides being an expert on taxes, is also an expert on love, as he is the one who primarily promotes the Weekend to Remember marriage seminars and uh, he would like for you to develop your love life via the weekend, to remember? And there's a sign-up table and information in the lobby. Check that out after the service. And thank you, Mark. So as we look at this passage, if you, if you look at it for a little bit, you may wonder, what is the basic idea that holds these verses together? And it is this. What do we owe? What is our obligation in human society? And the answer is that uh, to those who are over us, we owe honor, and to those who are around us, we owe love. Honor for those over us, love for those around us. The honor is expressed in a couple of ways, one of which involves taxation, the love to Is expressed in a couple of ways which we will discuss. But we begin with the simple admonition there in verse 7 render to all what is due them tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear honor to whom honor. We've discussed already the idea that governing officials are appointed by God to promote order and security. Theirs is a very important work and it cannot be done well unless it is well funded and thus we have taxes. They are not evil. (laughs) But they do create a context that allows for and maybe even promotes corruption and there is no way that uh, you can eliminate that entirely. And even when there is no corruption in your government, there will still be folly. So this is uh, IRS publication 525, And it says this, illegal income such as stolen or embezzled funds must be included in your gross income (laughs) on line 21 of 1040. Mark, do you know the guy that wrote that? I mean, uh, likely the same guy who put on the gun application, are you a fugitive from justice? You know, Uh, as a result of folly, as a result of corruption, uh, taxes tend to be a bane of our existence, and, and always controversial. I mean, just read the Gospels. Jesus dealt with controversies over taxes. His enemies came to him asking him, so are we supposed to pay taxes to that evil emperor of Rome, the Caesar? And why did they ask that question? They asked it because they knew that no matter which direction Jesus went on that subject, somebody was going to be upset with him right and jesus you know said famously that caesar's image was on the coin therefore you are to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, meaning your taxes, and unto God the things that are God. And by the way, where do you find the image of God? Well, that's stamped on human souls, and therefore your entire being belongs to God. I believe that's his point, but he does come out in favor of paying the tax even to a pagan, godless government such as he was under. That government is better than anarchy it is a minister of God for justice and so you are to do your share to fund it (laughs) a number of your brothers and sisters here especially appreciate you doing that because their paychecks come from government revenues our school teachers at least the public school teachers Chris Lochner the town manager in Hampton I see judge Porter is here and he gets some of his monies from your revenues and more people than that I am sure now the same thing is at work in the church to some extent what Paul says here about government officials he says elsewhere about church leaders Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For the law of Moses said you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Was God thinking only about oxen when he said this? Wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes, it was written for us so that the one who plows and the one who threshes the grain might both expect a share of the harvest. And he's saying to you that you get... There's more. Okay, since we have planted spiritual seed among you, Aren't we entitled to a harvest of physical food and drink? You give to your church to support what your pastors and other leaders are doing thank you very much now one difference is that we don't send people to your house with guns if you go for a year without paying a tithe okay we've discussed it among the elders we've even found some people who are volunteering to do this but so far no but the obligation for us as christians is similar in the lord but have you be faithful to your civil leaders and to your church leaders in this matter of financial provision. Now, there's another thing I would mention briefly, too. It has to do with how you speak to and about your leaders. You can dishonor or you can honor in the way that you speak. (laughs) Now, in our society, with no king, in a participatory republic, this is tricky because we are free to speak about supposed corruption in a leader. The prophets of God did this on several occasions. We are free to speak against the policies that we believe are harmful. So in order to bring about change, I can say something like this. I can say the mayor is corrupt and is destroying our city with his terrible policies, but calling him names, making fun of him because of his... Whatever, age, his children, his body type, that that kind of speech is out of line for us. Even in a government like ours where we get to disagree with our leaders and we get to promote changes that we believe are healthy. So honoring our leaders, that is part of our calling in the church and in society. What we owe to those over us is honor. They are where they are by the provision and providence of God. They are called ministers of God, which means that you and I are serving God when we tithe or when we pay tax to the state. That would be a perspective shift for some of us, wouldn't it? Not only should we pray and we pass the offering plate or you go online and send in a gift. Uh, I hope you pray. God, thank you for your mercies in Christ. Thank you for our Church, uh, but not only should we do that as we give to our church, but also as we send in our taxes. Now I know most of you don't send in your taxes; they're just extracted from your paycheck. Guys like me, we actually have to go out of our way to make sure the government gets its share. So we're reminded of this opportunity that we get. Uh, we send our return in with prayer, and and we say, "Thank you, Lord." for the government you put over us. You can do that. Try it. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for the government you put over us. It could be way worse. This is our prayer. It could be way worse, and we deserve way worse. Thank you that I make enough money that I am able to contribute. Please give our government and our leaders success as you define success, and I send in this check for you And your glory. I I mean, seriously, uh, we should probably have a prayer meeting every year on April 15 to uh, recognize these realities and honor God in our financial stewardship. All right. Time to turn the corner and look at how we relate to those around us, okay? Uh, For those over us, the key word is honor expressed in taxes and in words. For those around us, the key word is love. That means we seek to do what is good for our neighbors. Paul has already spoken to how we relate to fellow believers. This, I think, is more about the rest. Verse 8, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law so the apostle is here connecting love with paying your bills yeah it goes beyond that but it certainly includes that now let me note uh, a few things about this command in the first part of verse eight it does not mean that you cannot borrow money or incur a financial obligation it just means that you must live up to any obligation that you incur if you hire somebody to paint your house you need to pay that person promptly if you get a mortgage or you have a lease pay the monthly on time psalm 37 the wicked borrows and what? Does not pay back. Some pastors will disagree with me, but if you come to me and tell me you're behind on a payment that you owe, I would urge you not to make contributions to the church again until you have met that obligation to your neighbor. Even if that neighbor happens to be a massive corporation, that's a moral requirement to pay what you owe. It applies to those over you. It applies to those around you. If you do owe money, you do your best to get out of that debt as quickly as possible. Financial debts should be temporary. All right, that said, Paul moves on to speak of a debt that is permanent. It is the debt to love. That is our obligation to everyone we encounter, those the Bible calls our Neighbors. But you will notice here that Paul links this call to love to our obedience to the commandments of God and thus to the Lord's wisdom and the Lord's authority. I think we have a verse, uh, verse 8, he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Also, verse 10, love is the fulfillment of the law. It's vital for us to grasp the relationship between loving our neighbors and keeping god's law those uh, negative commandments that tell us what not to do they are rooted in the call to neighborly love we love and so we avoid these things and we seek instead to do their opposite now satan loves to distort the truth He loves to distort this scriptural call to love and disconnect it from biblical law, from scriptural morality. You know what I mean by that? I mean, you will hear people say things like, well, you know, the main thing Jesus taught us is to love people, and that's all that really matters. So if my neighbor marries another man, I should congratulate him because that's the loving thing. If my granddaughter comes out as a grandson, love means that I must affirm that choice. So what's going on there? Well, what this person is doing is saying the biblical ethic is love and I will define love the way I choose to define love. This is the claim of a godless, rebellious culture. But a scriptural call to love links that love with a biblical view of the world. It gives direction to our love. It tells us what real love looks like so this is uh, Paul's point here look at verse 9 you shall not commit adultery you shall not murder you shall not steal you shall not covet what's he doing there he's reciting four of the ten commandments he's saying this is love love will keep the commandments of God it doesn't mean that if we have love The commandments are now pointless. No, no. They tell us how to direct our love. 1 John 5 verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and what? Observe His commandments. But what do we hear from some quarters in our day? We hear about something called love that actually violates the law of God. We will commit adultery out of what? out of love this is we love each other this is how we express it cool no no <laughs> not cool I've even heard people describe a mother's choice to terminate a pregnancy to end her preborn baby's life as the loving thing for her to do this is the insanity that sin and Satan will lead us to loving murder loving adultery well how about theft do people steal out of love, certain approaches to government governance insist that love calls for taking from citizen A and giving to citizen B. And when citizen B is a sympathetic figure, this looks really good until you subject it to the scrutiny of the Word of God or look at the long-term consequences. The point is that we are to cultivate love in our hearts fighting against those selfish inclinations, but we must also learn from the wisdom of God how to apply that love in ways that honor the Lord and His truth, align with His Word, and therefore truly help others. Now, uh, I'm not going to the parenting class right now. My my wife is, uh, and I don't know what that means for us in our future, but... (laughs) uh, You know, I, I still think a lot about parenting, and a lot of you are very much in the thick of it. Proverbs 13:24 says this: "Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them." Wow. So one parent says, or thinks, "I love Johnny too much to discipline him." Another parent says, I love Johnny too much not to discipline him. One approach accords with Proverbs, and the other does not. One expression of love, it says, hurts the child, and the other helps the child. B- big difference. You see the example of Jesus. Perfect love incarnate. But how does Jesus express that love? Love. Well, if you read the Gospels, you find that he does it in some very different ways. He rebukes his disciples at times. He's very hard on the Jewish leaders. He's very tender with those who are hurting. He overturns the tables in the temple, the tables of the money changers, and he heals lepers. All of it involved love, right? But the expression of love fit the context. That means that love for someone caught up, In a sinful lifestyle, in addition to involving basic kindness, honor for the image bearer, forgiveness for any ways that person has offended us, may also include some measure of warning and appeal and explanation as to why their conduct cannot be blessed. It would also mean, of course, pointing them to the mercy that is available in Christ. So we have to always be asking, what does love mean in this context And we consult the scriptures because God's law, it is very good. It is totally relevant. And it seems he has an an expectation that we will actually be following his law. So let's close by considering the idea of love being owed. Oh, nothing except to love. How is love for a neighbor rightly viewed as a debt? Remember that uh, we are to love even our enemies. We saw that at the end of chapter 12 in Romans. How is it a debt then to love? Well, clearly not because of some claim on us that other persons may have. The debt of love is not because they have done anything for us, but because Christ has done everything for us. So I want to say that again. The debt of love is owed not because they or you or he or she has done anything for us, but because Christ has done everything for us. I think of David, Old Testament David, who dropped great love, great grace on the disabled grandson of Saul named Mephibosheth. And why did David do this? The Word of God says that he loved Mephibosheth for the sake of Jonathan. He expressed Love to Mephibosheth, out of his love for Jonathan, who was his father. Then, too, I think of Peter, when he testified three times to, the, to Jesus of his, of his love. Remember, after the resurrection, and he had that encounter on the shore, and, and, and Jesus asked him three times, Simon, Simon, do you love me? And, and he said, yes, Lord, you know all things you know that I love you. And what did Jesus say in response each time? Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Peter was to love the church out of his love for Christ. That is what we too are called to do. We, we love our neighbor made in God's image because of his love, the love we have received from the Lord himself and the more we grasp that love of the Lord the more likely we are to share it with others friends and enemies believers and unbelievers the source of our love the spring of it all is the love of Jesus for us which we come now to celebrate in the supper that is before us. So if you're a musician or a server, I invite you to come on down now and let's all join ourselves to pray as we get ready to share in the sweet love of the Savior around this table.
2: I get to call up Ken Pretty, and he's going to introduce himself
3: this week live and in person. So welcome, Ken.
1: Well, good
2: morning. I'm absolutely delighted to be here today. I've been anticipating uh, this morning for quite a while. Drove up yesterday, and here I am. So I look forward to meeting you, uh, getting to know you, Uh, You will get to know me. Um, uh, No mystery there. Uh, I love God. I love people. I love the Great Commission. That's kind of how I live, and that's the kind of ministry that I hope to bring to North Park Church. Now, one of the things I was asked to do today, albeit briefly, uh, was to show you a photograph of my family. So... Uh, let me l- run through the roster real quickly. This is about a year old. This was taken uh, during the Thanksgiving weekend of last year. Uh, you'll notice that I'm the handsome guy in the middle there, the shorter of the two bald guys with, uh, with white T-shirts. Um, seated in front of me is my wife, Sharon. Um, Sharon is... Uh, Uh, a graduate from uh, University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, taught special ed for a number of years. We met in the eighth grade. I think it's gonna work out. Uh, It helps that I travel. But uh, we've been married for uh, 51 point something years. Um, Yeah, thank you. It's a testimony to, uh, to her gracious goodness uh, and great, great genes, I guess. Um, sitting in her lap is Dakota, one of my grandchildren. Um, and her sister, Piper, is the rather theatrical one there with the thumbs up. Uh, that, uh, Piper just turned 13 a few days ago. Uh, she is a uh, sort of a theatrical young woman uh, following after her mom, uh, my oldest daughter Brooke, who's kind of right next to her. Brooke is a theater arts major uh, from Arizona State and uh, leads a ministry that is uh, a children's theater group. And so theater kind of comes naturally. And our family It's either sports or arts. That's kind of how it has panned out. Uh, Next to Brooke leaning over, looking at his watch, is her husband, Ryan. Not sure about the watch thing, other than he set the timer on the camera. Plus, he's always in a hurry to go to the next place. Uh, Right in front of them is my youngest uh, daughter, Dylan. And uh, Dylan is an ER physician assistant married to ben uh, sitting there beside her Uh, he's in the army he's a pilot and they live down in uh, huntsville alabama Uh, let's see going to the other side uh, in front that's kara she's my middle daughter married to uh, max max runs a cycle shop Uh, kara was a, a dance major taught dance for a whole lot of years now works with max at the cycle shop and Kara is expecting uh, her first child October 14. So, not too long. Right behind her, uh, you see my son Reed, the tall, bald guy. Reed is a professional volleyball player, uh, married to Lindsay. They live in Huntington Beach, California. And uh, right there with them is my granddaughter Scarlett and my grandson Caden. Now, again, this is a year-old shot, so Caden, also turning 13 in September, is now uh, just past me in height. So at 13 years old, he's pushing 6'1", born into a volleyball family. What can you do? So uh, that's that's the whole clan. Brooke and Kara and their families live in Richmond, Virginia, where my wife and I are. That's hometown for us. But we did a lot of ministry over the years, uh, planting churches in Southern California and Florida, and then uh, leading a revitalization project at a church in Phoenix, Arizona, before returning back home to Richmond, Virginia. But I'm absolutely delighted to be here and look forward to meeting you all. Thank you.
3: we're going to pray. Father, thanks for calling Ken to this assignment. Uh, we're so grateful that you and your providential wisdom have picked a moment in time to bring him here. We thank you, God, for everything that's been part of his life's experience, for the heart he has, for the great commission, for the heart he has, for those family members who are out there who you've called from before the beginning of time who don't yet know that they're yours. And Lord, we get the joyful task of helping to bring the good news to them and call them into this family. So God, give Ken what he needs. Give him every grace in this transition. Be with Sharon as she surrenders time with him as he goes back and forth from Richmond to here. And Lord, empower the ministry that he has as he leads us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen.